God, whom he has not seen, and he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love God. Thank you. Heavenly Father, as we gather this morning, we bring different problems, uh, different stresses, different distractions with us, and we pray that for the next minute or two, you would banish these from our hearts and minds, and that you would open blind eyes, unstop deaf ears, and soften hard hearts, that we might understand something of the mystery of the Incarnation. Thank you, Lord. Amen. The uh, subject that I want us to consider for just a few moments this morning, and it is only a few, um, it is the subject of the love of God. Because if we were to strip away every trapping, uh, no turkey, no tinsel, no Santa, no stocking, uh, no Boxing Day test match, no cards, no crackers. Just one thing remains at the heart of Christmas. It is the love of God. Uh, all of us want to know what it is, what it feels like to be loved. Uh, historians recently discovered two corresponding diary entries, uh, the first from John Adams, who was a former president of the United States, and the other one from his son. The president wrote this, day spent fishing, day wasted. The son wrote, day spent fishing with father, best day of my life. Of course, not everybody does have happy memories of being loved by their families, but um, whatever your experience of family love might be, this Christmas I want all of us to grasp that if everything else is stripped away from Christmas, one thing remains, and that is the love of God. Or to put it another way, that God loves you. Won't you please turn in your Bible to John chapter 3 and verse 16. It's on page 750. John chapter 3, verse 16, and the most famous sentence of all in the teaching of Jesus. Because from this one sentence, we discover the object of God's love, the evidence for God's love and the goal of God's love. John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
Now there, in the first six words, we have the object of God's love. For God so loved the world. We are the objects of God's love. Whoever we are, whatever we've done, however we might have treated God in the past, God loves us. Now I should tell you that the phrase the world in verse 16 is actually a technical phrase. It refers to everything in us individually and in the culture that rejects and resists the gentle, loving rule of God. Jesus was constantly pointing out that the world is actually not that lovable. Um, If you glance down to verse 19 in your Bible, you'll find what Jesus said about the world. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Jesus is nothing if not straight talking. Uh, I find that rather refreshing. Do you notice there's absolutely no attempt here at political correctness? Uh, Jesus isn't trying to win anybody's vote. And uh, there's no pious waffle that's designed to placate our more sensitive feelings. Of course, there is so much, isn't there, in the world around us that is lovely and genuinely lovable. But if we look back over the past year, it's not hard, is it, to compile a list of things that are very obviously unlovable. Back in March in Egypt, Islamic State vowed to eliminate all Christians from the country. In Myanmar, there was the brutal ethnic cleansing of the Rohingya Muslims. In America, there was a seemingly endless string of shootings, including, of course, the massacre of 27 men, women and children in church in Texas. In Europe, underage children were still being trafficked for sex. Now, none of that is remotely lovable. And here in South Africa, well, the the Steinhoff fraud allegations have given shareholders and pensioners a rather anxious and miserable Christmas. And of course, millions living in poverty are wondering, will the corruption ever end? So, whether it's uh, Zimbabwe or South Sudan, Cape Town or Cairo, Harvey Weinstein or Kevin Spacey, there is so much about this lovely world that is deeply unlovable and fully deserving of God's judgment. And yet, God so loved the world. And then, of course, after pointing the finger at others, I felt that it was only right that I should point the finger at myself and consider my own life. Because in the Bible, uh, God tells us uh, many of the things that he dislikes and hates. Uh, He hates pride, gossip, greed, envy, 
deception, immorality. Most of all, he hates it when we do not honour the Son whom he loves that he sent into the world at Christmas. Now, you're going to have to do your own self-assessment. I can't possibly do it for you. But for myself, I had to conclude that there is much in me that is unlovable to God and frankly deserving of his judgment. And yet, in the first six words of the most famous sentence in the whole Bible, Jesus tells us that God so loved the world. God loves you. He loves me. Ha! you say. But where's the evidence? Well, the evidence is there in the next eight words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Now, in the context of John's Gospel, those words can't be referring to anything else except the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Actually, the the whole account of his life in John's Gospel was uh, commissioned by Jesus to the disciple who was closest to him. And John's account begins by telling us that Jesus will die on the cross and it ends by recording the fact that he did die on the cross. Um, I wish that I could persuade you this Christmas to take one of these home with you, the word one-to-one, or just take the Bible. This is just an easy-to-read version of the Gospel of John. I wish I could encourage you to read John's Gospel carefully for yourself this Christmas. Because, you see, it shows us that Jesus is the light from God that exposes what you and I are really like. It also shows us that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It shows us that Jesus is the Good Shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. And it shows us that Jesus is the servant who lovingly washes away everything that is so deeply unlovable in all of us. And the unmistakable fact is that Jesus came into this world with one sole purpose. And that was to carry in his sinless perfect body the just judgment of God on your unlovable sin and on mine. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. God loves you. He loves you so much that he gave his Son for you. As I was uh, considering the the birth of Jesus, I was reminded of those books that we sometimes give to uh, parents when they have their first baby. I'm sure you've seen them. Uh, You know how they go. Page one, this is me, little baby there. Uh, Page two, everybody's waiting for me. Page three, these are my parents, looking rather tired and haggard, of course. Uh, Page four, I've arrived. 
Uh, then page five, six, and seven, uh, my first bath, my first tooth, my first word, my first steps. And then you get to the last page of the book and uh, it says, this is the end because I'm all grown up now. Well, those books are very interesting, aren't they, for the immediate family, but actually that's all. But this book is the historical record, the historical record, the eyewitness account of the life and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody's waiting for him. Prophets, angels, Mary, creation, the star, God. His parents? Well, God the Father through the Holy Spirit, and so the baby is divine, but he was born of the Virgin Mary, so the baby is also human. His first bed? An animal feeding trough. His first visitors? Shepherds. Actually, the lowest of the low, the scum of the earth. His first words? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? He's all grown up now. He walks on water. He heals the sick. He feeds the hungry. He teaches like nobody else. He raises the dead. Now this is the end of the book. A crooked trial. Cynical bystanders. Cruel soldiers, a crown of thorns, the cross, and God's judgment on your unlovable sin and mine was laid on him so that you might not perish but have eternal life. God loves you and he loves you enough to send his only son for you. That's the evidence, the evidence of God's love. What about the goal of God's love? Well, you'll notice the word that appears twice in our sentence. And the second time it appears, it means so that. So that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, what on earth does that mean? Well, to have eternal life is to become God's friend. It's a friendship that begins now and stretches on into eternity. Eternal life in this world now means living in harmony with my Creator so that my work, my friendships, my pleasures, my fears... My pains, my disappointments, all of those things are experienced with God at my side. I've been a Christian for nearly 30 years and let me say that life with my Creator is the best thing in the world. But eternal life for eternity beyond the grave means enjoying forever the creator whose generous love 
is so clearly seen in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I ask you, can you imagine anything better than spending eternity with the person who gave his life for you and who has conquered all your enemies? Personally, I can't wait. And to perish? To perish is to live both now and in eternity, separated from God and under his judgment. It actually means uh, living life now in the sterile twilight of separation from your creator. Let me tell you, you were not made for that. You were made to live life in colour, not in black and white, and to perish, separated from my creator and from everything good for all eternity? I can't think of anything more horrifying. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Ah, says somebody, God couldn't possibly love me. Uh, my life is just a catalogue of the most unlovable thoughts and behaviour. My friend, look at the cross. God loves you. Ah, says somebody else, God couldn't possibly love me. Uh, you've no idea what's been done to me. Uh, my whole life has been ruined by the abuse of love. My friend, look at the cross. God loves you. Ah, says somebody else, God couldn't love me. You've no idea how I've treated God and his son. Well, look at the cross. God loves you. Here then is the message of Christmas in one sentence. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you're already a Christian here this morning, then rejoice in the love of God today. You won't find anything else like it anywhere in the world. There might perhaps be someone here this morning who's investigating, who's looking in. Can I encourage you to take time out today to read John's Gospel or to ask one of us to make time over the holidays to read it with you? For as you come to know Jesus Christ in the Gospel, he will give you eternal life as a free gift. Not because you deserve it, but because he loves you. Amen. I'm going to ask the music team to come up.